Welcome to the Covert Nerd Podcast. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. I know you could be listening to thousands of other podcasts, but you chose to give me some of your time. And today I'm very excited about the interview I did with local comic book artist and illustrator, Nate Hamill. He's done work for comic book companies and video game companies and gives you some great advice about getting into the industry and just life in general. It was a pleasure to sit down with him at his comic book shop and talk with him about all things nerdy. So let's get started right into the interview and hear what he has to say. Tell us, you, you just had a class today. How did that go, by the way? The class went good. Um, this week was the first week of creative character and creature design. Uh, I've been teaching sequential storytelling for about two months out of here. This changeup has been pretty pretty fun. So I, I only have a couple students, and I'm always looking for more. So it's who knows what's going to happen. Every week, there's there's a change. Cool. Well, tell me, as now it's a it's an art class, right? It's yes. not writing. It's an, it's an illustration class. Okay. On uh, creative character and creature design, it's basically when looking for a position in the field, uh, it's not always about being the best illustrator. A lot of the times you're looking for someone that is creative Um, and creativity you have now illustration skills will come with time. So I always tell people it's, it's better to be a good illustrator or uh, um, be creative than be a good illustrator. Um, and I do this, it's the same way with sequential storytelling. You know, uh, sometimes it's, it's not about being the best illustrator in sequential. It's about being the best storyteller. To kind of segue into that, how do you tell a good story? I guess, give us maybe an example of in the classroom. What I teach? How, yes. How do you tell a good story? One of the things that I, I teach uh, has been passed down to me called the Z formation, uh, and that is leading the eye across the page the way you would read a book, but leading it with illustration in line, which draws the eye to the next panel and then down to the next layer across, down and across, and then leading you off to the next page. Now, it, it's all broken down to color, line, and word balloons. So if everybody works together appropriately, then you have a, a good cohesive design and you have the best product because of that. If someone messes up, then the eye doesn't draw to the next panel. You know, the, the reader doesn't know why they don't care for what they see. They just know that they don't care for it. And it's because there is a lack of professionalism within that page. And I've, I've made the mistake a million times over, uh, maybe not that many, but a lot. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, you get better with time and you try not to make those mistakes. Well, speaking of that, how long have you been doing comic art? Around 10 years. What is some of your, over the last 10 years, some creations you've done or, or projects you've worked on that are just, they stick out maybe more than some others? Well, I, I originally, I got my name out there by introducing myself to independent artists online. And I would message them through Facebook. And I'm, I would say, hey, I'm an illustrator. This is an example of my work. And I would love to do a pinup in your book. And I did that over and over and over. And if I didn't give them an example, I would give them a link to my, my, my page for uh, my website. And I was very grateful to have such good friends to help build my websites. And that made a huge difference. When they would look my work up, they would, if they liked my work, they would contact me back. 
and say, yeah, sure, give it a shot. And what they didn't know is that I've already done the pinup. I already drew the illustration and I was already ready. So I would just send it that next night. Oh, so they were like, wow, this guy's fast. They're, well, not only, <laughs> well, some of them probably thought I was fast and some of them probably thought, well, okay, maybe he's just really dedicated. So I was printed in all kinds of amazing books. Uh, and I, I met editors and CEOs of, of comic book companies and met amazing artists and networked that way. And I was very lucky to to be able to have such a strong network uh, where others don't. But I'm also the kind of person that likes to communicate. And I, I'm, I'm a face-to-face kind of person. I love to talk, obviously. And I, I, I'm very excited about pretty much everything that I do and everything in my life that I care about. I'm very excited. And I'm... People, a lot of people don't understand passion, but passions, I pretty much am just passion. Because of that, I, I found amazing relationships through illustration and has pushed me in a, in a way that I would have never had just growing up here in Lincoln. There was no network here. So when I moved away, I found my network. I moved back and I brought the network with me. Because that was so, Denver that you moved to, is yeah, that right? Denver, okay. Colorado. Yeah. Okay. So I've been turning over my network to others here in Lincoln in helps in hopes to help them. I've had some amazing interns. They've all moved on to better things. Because it's it's not always about what you know, it's about who you know. I've I've been told this and I believe this, but ninety percent of getting a job is about who you know. 5% is about work ethic and 5% is about ability. Uh, everything else, you know, I mean, you don't really need anything else. No. So it's, you have to, you have to be able to talk to people and communicate. And I, I, because of that, I really made a lot of good friends and they introduced me to a lot of anthologies. And that's basically what I remember the most is doing anthologies. And the, and the, the startup was those pinups. Um, and doing covers, but like my first piece that was published was a pinup and that was for a book called Chew, uh, in issue 29. I was super excited about that. And of course they printed it (laughs) or John printed it in, uh, the fan page, like fan art. And I, I called him and I was like, dude, I did this huge illustration because you told me I was getting a full page. And then here I am with this tiny little phone size image with <laughs> on in the book, but the illustration I drew is massive detail. So you couldn't see a lot of the detail. You couldn't see a lot of it, and he felt horrible. Um, he ended up, who, who, John, who? John Lehman. Okay. He wrote Batman, and uh, he wrote Chew. Okay. He's done a lot of uh, amazing books. So he felt bad. Hand me like a stack of variant co- comic books <laughs> at the convention. He was like, dude, I'm sorry. Uh, that's kind of a token. Yeah. I'm sorry, here's a stack of comics. Here's, oh, okay. here's a stack of really cool variant comics. <laughs> now, define, I guess... For those that may not know, what's a pinup? A pinup is an illustration done by an artist outside of the the regular artist on the book. So it's just a one-shot image, usually a full page. Okay, always a full page. (laughs) Not a little thumbnail. Um, It's okay, John. Yeah, pinups, and it's free work. Is that that something that in, in the industry that a lot of new people, that's how they kind of get their start? Or what do you think? Uh, Usually the way people get their start is through ghosting. 
and a ghost artist or a ghost inker or a ghost writer uh, is somebody that doesn't get any credit for the work, but is asked to help out. And they'll usually get like a thank you in the book. So if you see a comic book and there's a special thanks to blah, 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 that's usually somebody that ghosted on those books. Rob Liefeld had a go- like a group of ghost artists that he employed um, because he didn't want to draw his own books. So he would literally hire people to do the entire book for him. He would do little thumbnails of like, this is what I want the page to look like. And then these ghost artists that drew exactly like him would draw the entire book and he would pay them a small portion of his paycheck. Oh, that's how that works. Yeah, it's, that's okay. not a good way to do it. Yeah. You burn yeah. a lot of bridges and you get kicked out of image for that. Uh, <laughs> but either way. You, you got into comic books about 10 or so years ago. Was there a specific time or event that you can remember? Yeah, this is what I want to do. Well, at the time when I first got into it, I was I was doing artwork for like video games and I was doing a lot of independent uh, design. Basically, I was just a contractor. You know, I was just whatever came my way I would take and I was working nonstop and I was doing okay. Uh, And then a guy came about and offered me to do a comic book and I didn't know how but I wanted to do it and I was able to meet um, local comic book artists and in, in Colorado so I said you know what I'll, I'll do it and I met up with some uh, pro artists and I was like take me under your wing and they did and they beat the crap out of me <laughs> like I uh, it was hard it was really hard I mean I learned a lot you know and everything that I teach is straight from the mouth of people that you know were taught by amazing other amazing artists you know this is this is good information it's relevant information about the tools to use about the paper to use uh, about your deadlines and understanding uh, how to price your stuff every everything and I just kept I was this I just couldn't get enough information and uh, you're kind of learning as you're going right completely <laughs> school of hard knocks type uh, illustration is completely different than telling a story. You can draw, you can be an amazing artist, but if you don't know how to tell a story, it doesn't matter. Your, your images are static and the, the illustrations are boring and people lose interest. I don't care how shiny and pretty they are. People will lose interest. I remember reading an old, you've probably seen these old Conan books that Marvel did. And they were always, you could tell they weren't doing good as far as the art goes because Conan, when he was looking at something, had to describe, I'm looking at a giant spider in a hallway. And that's when you talk about that. I was like, that's bad storytelling. It's a lot of narrating. You you shouldn't have to narrate. Yes. You you should Um, be able to draw what you're looking at. And, but that also could play into the time period where they felt it was necessary to narrate. Yeah. This is, you know, eighties, early eighties. And there were some amazing Conan artists at that time. So, I mean, it, it could also play into, uh, just the period of time that the writers were learning. Um, especially in the, the 80s and 90s, there was just so much young talent being thrown into the works. You know, it, they just took anybody that looked like they could possibly accomplish the job and then put them through the grinder. 
Yeah. Just get many, as many pages out of them as you could. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, seriously. And then this huge boom in the 90s, and we're talking royalty checks like that people couldn't get in a year working, you know? Yeah. Like they were getting every month. Unbelievable royalty checks. And the kind of money that could buy homes every month. You don't see that now. No. That bubble burst. Well, there's a couple. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's yeah, a couple yeah. out there. And there's yeah. there's like I have I have buddies that worked in the nineties that are still getting checks. Wow. Like still. Um Mark Nelson is an artist that I plan on having here in May. And he drew the original Aliens run for uh in comic books for Dark Horse. And that series is awesome. Well, they just published the book again. So now he's getting checks again. And of course, they're selling at Barnes and Noble and they're graphic novels and they're hardbound and they're like $50 books. So here he is getting a check all over again for something he did 30 plus years ago. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, that and he, you know, just found some of the, his originals uh, from the book. He's going to take my money because he knows that I'll buy. <laughs> Here's my money. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I want one of your pages yes. from Aliens. Mark Nelson. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> what do you think as far as, you know, you're talking, you're teaching new new kids. I won't call them kids because I'm old. But anyway, <laughs> what advice do you give them maybe the 18, 19 year old starting out for getting into this industry, you need to know this and this. They need to know the, the basics of, of sequential storytelling. Obviously uh, that is extremely important, but they also need people need to realize that this isn't a job that you can get. If you don't talk to people, you need to be able to network. You need to be able to meet deadlines. You need to be trusty, like trustworthy, trusty, <laughs> you need <to> be trusty. <laughs> you need to be trustworthy. If you burn bridges, you could be done forever. Yeah, like you talked about. I, you know, I've burnt some bridges. It happens. But, you know, I'm still a guy that's trying to survive. I love where I'm at. I'm drawing my own book, and I'm happy with that. Yeah, let's talk about the Barbarians mm-hmm. book. Let's. When did that get started? Well, I was I was doing work for other people. Then nothing would come of it. Like they would drop off the face of the earth. Uh, they wouldn't want to finish, um, regardless whether they were paying me or not. They just didn't want to finish. So here I am. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I was at that time. I was applying uh, for or not applying, but I was my foot in the door with doing toy design. Okay. And so like figures or action figures. Yeah. Action figures. Okay. So. A job fell through. And I mean, it was a really good job. And that fell through and that hurt pretty bad. And then something else lined up. And I was I was super excited about that. And then that fell through. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? And it's not that someone else got the job. It's just it didn't do any. It never went anywhere. And I mean, one job I was getting a retainer every single month for me not to sign with anybody else. And I was like, sweet, this is going to be a great job. Here comes my career. And then it fell through and that hurt. So every time that that happened and I had to sit and I sat down and I wanted to draw for myself, I would draw these two female antiheroes, these two barbarians. And one of the reasons why I was drawing them is because I've had people, they see me draw all the time and they always, they're like, why do you just draw big muscly guys? Have you, do you ever draw women? I'm like, yeah, I draw women all the time. I can draw them. I 
I love drawing women. I just don't like drawing the objectification of women. I don't like drawing women in sexy poses. I think it's there, there's a time and a place for it. And it's definitely not in battle. It's definitely not wearing armor. And it it's definitely not, unless it's part of the story, of course. But, I mean, it's, it's not something that is... Women should not be identified by their sexual identity. Like, that's... I don't know if I said that right. Women, basically, the characters in my book, they are barbarians, and they are referred to as barbarians. Hence the name of the book, not female barbarians or girl barbarians or barbarians and flowers. No, it is barbarians, because these are two badass anti-heroes that just constantly go through battle. And, I mean, I've turned this book over to get reviews by many people. And one of the the reviews I, I, I put out, and I thought I was sure going to get a really bad one because the the writer was a feminist and I'm, I'm okay with feminism. And I thought for sure that, you know, here's this book about two naked women fighting constantly. She loved it. Wow. She loved it because there, there was not a sexualized moment in that, in that, in these books. There is just barbaric. You didn't see these women standing around flaunting the fact that they were naked. Like there's one scene where uh, Saga is just screaming a battle cry. And it's not like she's screaming a battle cry like a Valkyrie, like you see in a Thor comic book. She's screaming a battle cry like you would see Wolverine. Yeah. Scream a battle cry. Like, just barbaric. That's how these characters should be portrayed. And that's how a woman should be portrayed as by their character design, not by their sexual identity. And that's a big deal for me. And I have two daughters. Desensitizing the public to nudity is, is, is a big deal for me. You know, I think it's, it's fair. You know, if anybody's should is sexualized with their shirt off, it's men because our nipples do nothing. (laughs) Yeah. They are just there. Although I do understand that men can produce milk. I understand that. I get it. Just saying. But I'm just majority. So barbarians came about because I was just exhausted of doing things with other people. And I was like, well, I'm going to call my best friend. He likes to write. And I called Justin White. And I was like, Red, I want you to write this book. He's like, what's it about? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's about these two angry barbarians. He's like, sweet. So I gave him, we went over the design. We talked and we talked and we talked. I had an idea that I just wanted these fantastical creatures at all times. And I wanted all these random things that you see from your childhood, like from the 80s. And kind of like Conan is always bragging at the bar. I wanted these moments in the book. And this is, I was like, run with it. And then we create a story arc. And the design of the characters came about from my own issues. You'll see obsessive compulsive disorders. You'll see Tourette's. You'll see all kinds. You'll see, you'll see. And all these things come into play with these characters. And a little bit of myself is in each of these characters. And I love it. I am having the most fun I've ever had drawing a story because I can make mistakes. And it doesn't matter because it's my book. Yeah. You don't have an editor. No, I have no one telling me. You can't do that. Can't do that because I don't care. If someone's like, I don't like your book, I'm, I don't care. Then don't buy the next one. Yeah. Thank you for reading the first one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if someone's like, I find that to be gross, I don't care. 
I've read the first two, and I, I really like the style. I, I, I know I told you this, but when they're flashing back to when they're living with their mom and dad, it's told from their perspective. So the art is very simple. And then, of course, when they're in real life, it's more complex. I think that's a good way to illustrate how when we're nine years old, everything seems a lot simpler, less complicated. That is definitely one way to look at it. Yeah, that's how I, that's how I and that's, thought. And that's what I think is awesome, is that in this book, you can take from it what it is or, or what you perceive. I leave so much open to the viewer. When you finish issue two, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have people messaging me all the time going, are you serious? <laughs> I know. Wait, I don't, but okay, these are the main characters. What's going on here? I'm like, well, you just, you'll see. Yeah. We have issue, th- issue uh, through issue seven mapped out and it, it all makes more sense very soon. Good. We even left it open for the possibility of a, con- a continuing story. You know, it, it can keep going. It's not one of those stories where everyone dies and it's over, you know, yeah. because I'm dark and deep and my, th- my thoughts are important and I want people to know that I'm, I'm going against the system. No, I don't even care. I just want to have fun. Just tell a story. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think. I know somebody else was talking about this. I really like the advantage of being with an independent publisher or on your own is you can take however many issues you need to tell the story, whether that's a hundred issues or whether that's five issues, you don't have to keep going. Nothing that there's anything wrong with Marvel and DC getting up to a thousand issues, but I think that's nice to have that as an independent artist. You can take however long or however short you need to tell the story. I love it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. And speaking of story arcs, I guess what, in your opinion, are some of the best story arcs that you've ever read anywhere? Whether it's DC, Marvel, Image, whatever. Was there something, is there one that sticks out in your mind? Honestly, I've, I didn't start reading. I always collected comic books growing up and I would, I would draw every hand, every foot, every leg, every arm, every head, then draw everything together from every comic book that I ever bought because I wanted to know how to draw. I never read the stories. So I had this long box filled with comic books of stories I've never read and I didn't care to. And then all of a sudden I'm in my thirties and I need to go to college and I need to learn and I, I want to understand. And then all of a sudden this, this guy hits me about drawing comic books. So I bought everything Robert Kirkman ever wrote. So I read everything Robert Kirkman ever wrote right away. The first thing I read was called The Brit. And I just think that was one of the most interesting intros I ever ran into. You you don't realize who he really is until later on. I mean, you get a good gist of what's going on. There's all kinds of story arcs with that. But then it brought me into a book called Invincible. Because even that, Brit ties into Invincible. He also becomes the leader of Invincible Universe, where he's just this old guy, you know, with gray hair, but he's completely invincible. And yet, his name is the Brit and not Invincible, which is funny. But anyways, so Invincible, hands down, is my favorite. Funny, I just started reading that about a month ago. I think I'm up to issue 16. The best the it is. complete best and you're not even at the good stuff i know <laughs> i've heard that. holy crap the last <laughs> issue just came out yes um, issue 144 I'm, I'm trying not to read the last issue i'm um, tempted <laughs> and I, i've i wasn't 
a big fan of Spider-Man like comic books, but now I'm going to have to buy Spider-Man comic books, not only for the store, but for myself, because the guy that drew, drew, uh, invincible Ryan Otley is now drawing Spider-Man. Are you kidding me? He does the best Spider-Man <laughs> in your humble opinion, in my not so humble, opinion. not so humble opinion. <laughs> I am extremely arrogant at times, but I no, he's he's amazing. Robert Kirkman. Uh, no, Ryan or uh, well, Ryan Otley yeah, is the artist. Is the artist, and Robert Kirkman is now. I know. I don't think Robert Kirkman's writing Spider-Man. No, no, I meant for Invisible. No, as Invincible? far as the yeah. arc, as the yes, um, so you would say Invincible is hands down the best. Number one. Yep. Anybody that walks in and asks me, uh, I have a young reader, not as an age, but somebody that's interested in reading comic books, what would you recommend? Invincible. Invincible. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, Invincible number one. (laughs) (laughs) I think he wrote uh, Walking Dead. Yep. Robert Kirkman wrote Walking Dead. He wrote The Brit. He wrote Astounding Wolfman, uh, uh, Super Dinosaur. Did he do Saga and is it Lion of... No. No, that was somebody else. Yeah. I think it was somebody else. Oh, so, okay. Kirkman was at the time writing like eight books a month. Uh, very busy guy. Still pretty busy, but now for other reasons. <laughs> you mentioned comic books, of course. What are some other things you nerd out about? You know, action figures, you talked about oh, that. Man. Or, or uh, what are the things you like? I see that. I was like, that's awesome. Well, uh, I, I completely nerd out over certain action figures, I suppose. I love G.I. Joe. Uh, I grew up loving G.I. Joe and it's probably the the biggest reason why I wanted to draw characters I just the toys were amazing to me and you know I I have so many memories with with those toys and so much creativity that came from those that every time someone brings up G.I. Joe's I just completely nerd out I mean hence I, I did a big mural on the wall <laughs> I'll have to get a picture of that that's pretty awesome what's your favorite G.I. Joe figure oh goodness as a true fan would say, I don't have just one. Uh, and that's that's pretty nerdy. But uh, Road Pig, Big Boa, Croc Master, Raptor, you know, I, I, I love the obscure characters. Crystal Ball, those are the best to me. I went so far as to making or having a custom ring made for Road Pig because uh, he made he carried a cinder block mounted to an axe handle as a weapon. And then I went as far as me and my buddy making... Thank you, John. Uh, making a cinder block mounted to an axe handle, and it's in the window of my gallery. Awesome. Also, the barbarian axe is that um, Embla carries in my comic book, which is 37 pounds of plate steel, is in my window as well. That's awesome. How many, did you have quite a few figures growing up then, G.I. Joe figures? Yes. Uh, anybody, every, anybody and everybody knew that if they were getting me something for my birthday or for Christmas or any kind of gift it was jay joe so growing up you're like friends are like go to nate he's got everything <laughs> well no actually i didn't have nearly as much as a, as, as a lot of kids but i i had a lot for for myself but i had friends that had much more than me and that's okay i i was i feel like i was pretty blessed in that area but everyone in my neighborhood played with jay joe's so it was it was awesome it was constantly pick 10 of your favorite characters to come over, you know? Yeah. And we would build these big cities out of styrofoam and nerd it up in my buddy's basement. Did you cry at the movie when Duke died? 
<laughs> no. No. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't watch those movies as if they were GI Joe. I just watch them as as if they're just fun. Um, I'm not. I'm not anybody that. Uh, I'm not jaded by the, by a, a bad movie. I thought the GI Joe movies were fun, but they put a mouth on Snake Eyes. Yeah. That made no sense to me. I was actually referring to the animated movie. Oh. The the one that came out in '86, I think it was '87. Oh, have you yeah. seen that one? Yes. Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were talking about the, the movie. newest one. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, as a kid, no, it didn't really affect me. It was a cartoon, and I again, I would watch GI Joe the cartoon only to find out what toys were coming out. I never really played with my GI Joes as if they were Duke and they were Snake Eyes and they were Scarlet, and I loved I, my favorite characters, even though they were bad guys, were still in my eyes, the good guys in, in my stories that those stories have helped me or being creative as a child helped me be creative as an adult. And I'm still in that same mindset as when I was a little kid. Uh, there's just so much out there. There's so much story to be told. Kids would look at the simplest thing. They would sit on a couch and and see the arm of the couch and the back of the couch with a cushion as a cliff and a mountainside. And we look at it as an armrest. Yeah. Uh, I still look at it as a mountainside. That's awesome. Um, I refuse to, to, to give that up. Everything that I look at is, is potential play area. But I never play anymore i just mentally create stories in my head at times you know i'm looking at this center display with a with a bunch of art on it and then at the top i have a stay puff (laughs) marshmallow man (laughs) well to me that that looks like an idea of climbing a mountain just to to fight the the in boss at the top yeah you know and i i think of stuff like that like well how would you defeat that boss you know, here he is, this giant, massive, he's probably throwing parts of marshmallow down at you or whatever. And then you get to the top and then all he has to do is kick you off. Yeah. Well, the characters would go around the side, flank him and create a diversion. And then you would come up and you would trip him or something. I don't know. But this is what I'm saying. Like everything to me is a story. It is fun. And I put it into my book. I put it into, you know, when I, whenever I write a story for an anthology, I put it in that. And I'm not a good writer. <laughs> so I was just going to ask, do you do, you do any writing? Or? I, I do. I, I have, I think, five or seven written or published written stories. I don't do dialogue. Sure. Uh, my dialogue would be nothing but fart jokes. Let's be honest. Uh, you can't get a complete story with nothing but that. So I usually ask somebody to to do the dialogue. Do you think, as far as like as famous comic book writers go, is there somebody that sticks out you would love to do some artwork for? Let's just dream. If so and so called you up and said, "Hey, Nate." I want you to do some work for me. Who would you like to do some artwork for? You know, I, I know a lot of great writers. I really do. And I don't think I have a dream writer because, I mean, everyone, like I would, everyone loves the idea of working for Kirkman. Sure. Because you know true. that you're, you're going to get consistent work. You're going to get a good story and you're going to get everything that you do is going to be sold. And everything that you do as original artwork is going to be worth a bunch of money. I don't care about that. But I would love, like, I love the idea of working for Michael Barron. Michael Barron's a good friend of mine. And he wrote Punisher, created Nexus, you know, uh, created the Badger, many, many novels 
after afterwards. Amazing guy. He's got two Eisners. Wow. I mean, how many you people did you know some work even, with him, you said? We, we've talked over, okay. off and on. You know, he's thrown me like three Conan scripts because uh, he wrote Conan uh, back in the 80s a couple times. He's amazing. He's completely in his own world. And his world is intense. I mean, he, I seen him post a video online about picking a fight with Putin. He's like, I challenge you to a fight, Putin. And Michael Barron, he's, just, he's a little man, but he's scrappy. I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> I wouldn't want to mess with him. <laughs> I, I think he's like a third degree black belt or something. But, but either way, he's still scrappy. <laughs> still wouldn't want to mess with him. Yeah, he, he, would, he would do some damage. Because you wouldn't see it coming. Yeah. He just looks like this little old guy. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> but he does. He's, he's awesome. How does that process work? I guess guide us through how the process works between the writer and the artist. What kind of back and forth happens there from start of an issue, end of an issue? That all depends. Um, I suppose everybody's different, but well, in your experience. There's different scenarios where the writer is looking for an artist and the artist uh, just does what they're told because they're being paid by the writer. Then there is the, co- the collaboration where nobody is in charge, uh, very similar to barbarians. Um, and that's just the most fun and people get mad at each other, which is funny too. And then you have the, like the job scenario, you know, where the writer's being paid and you're being paid and it's the editor's job to, you know, uh, fix everything. So there's really, it's hard to, it's hard to say, you know, uh, most of my experience has been, you know, the writer pays me to do a story. Um, and then the collab stuff is my favorite because it's, who cares if you make a mistake, spelling errors, who cares? You know, sometimes it's fun to make spelling errors. Is there a lot of back and forth? There should always or disagreeing. I don't like the way that panel looks. No, but there should always be back and forth. Um, me and the writer for Barbarians got into it pretty good a couple times. <laughs> Don't speak for a few days. No, yeah, actually, he didn't want to call me for about a week. He was so mad, but he got over it and yeah. get over it, Red. But he and I didn't see eye to eye because I was doing what I wanted and very arrogantly do that with this book. And uh, he told me right away, he's like, if I was paying you, you'd be fired. And I was like, you're not. So kiss my ass. So you're saying at Marvel and DC, though, uh, yes, there is no. You don't mess around with Marvel and DC. You just do your work and you work as fast as you can and you work as many hours as you can put in without falling asleep. That's the biggest difference. Uh, we're talking 18 hours a day, uh, seven days a week until the book is done. Now, have you done work with the big publishers? Nope. or okay, I've stayed away just... from Marvel and DC. I've thought about doing some work for uh, Marvel uh, a while back. I thought about putting in for some... Like They do these test books. And they test artists on these books. They they give like low level no names like myself opportunities to work on like four issue arcs for certain books. I thought about jumping in and put my myself in for one of those to see if I could get one. I'm not saying I would. I'm not saying I wouldn't. But that was only because I wanted to travel with my buddy uh, Aldrin Awe. 
uh, and to be able to travel to convention to convention, you have to have some kind of clout. They need to be able to promote you and be able to say, this is what this person's done and this is what this person's doing. And if you want to travel with Awe and Neil Adams and Joel Adams, you better have some stuff on your to offer, you know, and I didn't. Um, but I, I have a, a presence that people enjoy at conventions so much so that a lot of smaller conventions will still bring me out because they know that I bring a certain level of energy to the convention itself. The artist alley is different when I'm there. I have, I'm very loud. <laughs> I am not afraid to dance, but it's, it's not even about being loud and, and having fun. It's, it's approachability. Yeah. Yeah. It's about being personable. You know, I, I bring a certain amount of people to a convention and I know that. Yeah. Cause you've done some work at the Denver comic con, right? Yep. In the past. I, I was part of uh, building the artist alley for the first Denver comic con. That's awesome. That, that thing's a grown a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first year it was 27,000 people or 28,000 people, which was a record high for a first convention. And the second year was another record high for a second year. And, <laughs> And now, and it's going into its sixth year, I want to say it's the third largest convention. And I think Chicago Con and, and Denver Con are like pretty neck and neck. And Kansas City, which is Planet Con, is still, I think, sitting around the 50, 60 mark. But Denver Con hit like 118, you know. That's incredible. That's a lot huge. of people. That's, you know, That's, San Diego Comic Con's like, you know, 150-ish, 40 San Diego Con was sitting at the 120s for forever. Yeah. You yeah. know, and New York Con beat San Diego Con, which is was considered the large is now I, I from my understanding is the largest convention is New York uh, in numbers yeah but who knows how the numbers work That's just gigantic. there's a lot of people that go in and out uh, so you kind of wonder <laughs> you wonder if those clickers are just going off anyways like yeah click, click, click. yeah I totally agree you, you did some name dropping on Neil Adams and things like that it brings me to another question what artist or famous writer that you've met personally that you're just like almost awestruck I guess any funny stories there Bart Sears uh, childhood hero most is the most recent uh, I met him so growing up you didn't have a way to learn how to draw comic books except through wizard magazine and hero magazine and it was the these little short tutorials about two to three pages of how to draw comics and Bart Sears did how to draw comics uh, by brutes and babes and then uh, Mark Nelson did how to draw comics through hero Bart Sears most recently um, I met him and he gave me a piece of original artwork that he didn't have in his uh, in his for sale folder and it was through a conversation that we had and him and I have talked in the past and I did a, a color test for him like original colors on one of his pieces he sent me a high res of Conan cutting down a bunch of like Cro-Magnon brutes and this naked woman in the distance and I colored that up and sent him the file and I didn't hear anything back and then we chatted back and forth after like in, in regards to other things later on but uh, and then I met him for the first time at Denver Comic Con last year and I cried <laughs> like seriously I was like I'm not gonna cry 
I'm going to be fine. And I was like, oh, looking through his work and I was talking to him and I told him my story. And then he's like, oh, you're the guy that did the pinup blah, 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 or the, the color work. And we like face to face, it was, it all clicked. And then he goes, I got something for you. Come back in a little bit. I have to go to a panel. So I came back and he hands me a piece of original artwork and he's, and I was like, oh, I love this. This is amazing. And he goes, it's for you. I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, I'm giving this to you. This is my way of saying thank you. And I cried right did you, away. Did you ugly cry? Oh man, I'm the best <laughs> ugly crier. <laughs> that like, is so cool though. Yeah. And um, it's here's hanging, this guy that you kind of grew up with. Yeah, it's hanging right now. And before that was Mark Nelson, which the, the artist that we're going to have out in yeah. May um, was the How to Draw Comic Books the, uh, through Hero Magazine. And these are the two people that influenced me big time growing up. Like, this is, I needed these guys. Yeah. I needed their every month How to Draw Comic Books. So you're saying you would not be where you're at. No, well, in, in all scenarios, I wouldn't be where I'm at without a lot of things. But those two guys definitely made it possible for me to learn. And then also the desire was always, every time I saw that magazine come out, I was like, yes, another tutorial. And Mark Nelson was tagged on one of my drawings I did of a dinosaur. And my buddy Rio is the one that tagged him. And Mark contacted me. He ended up calling me on the phone and I didn't think it was him. So I, I <laughs> like you're getting pranked. I thought I was being pranked by my buddy red cause he does stuff like that. And I hung up on him. He, he called me back and he goes, no, I'm, this is really Mark Nelson. And I, I freaked out cause I just hung up on my childhood hero and I ended up talking to him for about three hours. That's awesome. And, uh, we've been pretty close ever since I, I brought him out to Denver for a, a workshop uh, when I was teaching out of Community College of Aurora, because um, schools have budgets to bring artists and, and bring you know guest speakers, and so I brought him out and, and he did a workshop and we had a blast. I got to hang out with him all weekend. Oh, and so you're uh, hanging out with your childhood dream, yeah, my, my childhood uh, hero. Hero, I'm hanging out with him and. He was everything that I could have hoped for. Him and Bart Sears, I was just blown away. Like, are you serious? My childhood heroes are actually cool. Yeah. You know, like you, some people meet their heroes and they're just like jerks. Yeah. But these two made it, made me realize like there's something to this. Maybe one day I could be somebody's hero. Maybe one day I can influence somebody. And I kept at it. And, you know, I love teaching and uh, teaching should be relevant and, and me and Mark both are teachers. And that's one thing that him and I agreed really heavily on is teach people to not only get the job, but how to do the job and then give them the tools to accomplish what they're looking for. And don't just not what you would be looking for, but what they're looking for. So you're hoping that 10 years from now, some person comes up to you and say, you know, Nate, you, you taught that class one time and that really put me on the path to doing I X. actually, I've had a couple people. That sounds pretty arrogant or narcissistic. I don't care. It happened. It's, it's pretty amazing when somebody comes up to you and like, Hey, you know, I took your class or do you remember when uh, you used to, you used to teach me uh, out of your, out of the basement? Cause I used to teach out of my home. Like I had one student that was 13 blew me away. This kid was so, so, so smart. He was like a savant. I, I, within six months he was doing exactly what I, what I did with my work. And I was just like, how he, everything that I taught him, he just took in and it, it just, it made sense to him. It clicked. 
And uh, yeah, he was like, he was published in a, a, a book, right? Like at, at the age of 12 uh, or 13, at 12 years old, he won a statewide art or got second place in a statewide art competition. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, so those kids. And they didn't even know he was a kid. Ch- oh, really? No, it was just. Oh, I suppose they wouldn't. It was just they? all artists. Yeah. yeah. It was all sequential, like, like. Like uh, pinup artist, story artist, blah blah blah. So blah. like, where's your dad? You know, they're, they're, no, they. <laughs> no, I just they mean call, they're like this yeah. kid couldn't. Where's your dad that drew this? You know, they're <laughs> yeah. They called me up and they're like, hey, let Sam know that uh, he won and he can pick up his money. I was like, well, I'll tell his mom to come bring him by. They're like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's twelve. They're like, shut up. Wow. Yeah, and then you know, there, there's an artist here in town and Lincoln. His name's Artem. And he's brilliant. Holy crap. Yeah, he's this? the one that did that cover for Barbarian that you showed. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's the thing is, it's not even the fact that he's a brilliant illustrator. He's just a brilliant mind. I mean, I can't. How old Artem? He just turned 20. Oh, wow. So he's young. Very young. Um, he's, he's excellent. Yeah, he's in school right now for programming. He comes to me with things that I remember hearing programmers talk about. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, stop it. Um, but he's so, so good yeah. at everything that he does. He, he has a work ethic that people think Nebraska like people in Nebraska have like he he literally is that work ethic he is non-stop if he was a farmer he would be done before everyone else and it would be better than everyone else's farm everything that so he's got passion talent and work ethic and intelligence that I've I you don't come across you don't you don't come across that and when you do you you do everything you can to help that person. Do you think that's always what I've wondered in, in the art world? Do you think passion can outdo talent in your opinion? Uh, yeah, because talent is just information. I've had people come up to me and say, you were blessed with this. I'm like, no, I worked my, uh, or, uh, this is a God given talent. No, God, you know, might've been there, I guess, but that's besides the point I studied, (laughs) uh, I understand anatomy and I can draw people because I studied it. I spent 30 years drawing. Therefore I draw like this now. And then people ask you, why is this, this image a hundred bucks? Or why is this a thousand dollars? Or why is this this much? Well, I spent my entire life broke so that I can do this. that's why it's that much Um, now if you can't do it yourself and you want it then you have to pay for it like a doctor I'm not saying we're doctors but we have a skill set that other people can't do there's a reason why we we charge a hundred dollars for something that it might have took us 12 hours sure and who knows how many that are in the trash can that yeah well something that we took 12 hours on think about it what yeah. does that break down in an yeah. hourly yeah. wage? Ten dollars an hour, just do the math. You know, one hundred twenty dollars. Yeah, or twenty dollars an hour, two hundred forty. Exactly. So it it, <laughs> it it can be pretty intense because um, you, you've got these kids that you were talking about that have just phenomenal talent. Mm-hmm. 
obviously there has to be like you talked about they have to be able to network because you can be an awesome illustrator artist but and never get anywhere if you're going to sit behind a computer screen and if you're going to if you're going to goof off you'll never get a job if you can't talk to people you'll never get a job if you are a complete piece of crap you'll never get a job if you uh, are lazy or you, you just say the wrong thing at the wrong time like you could lose you could get the job but once you get the job it's harder to keep the job yeah, yeah like the hard part is not getting it it's about keeping it because there's a thousand people that want your job every day wow and some of those companies know that too <laughs> they do and they take advantage of that yeah. um marvel does it all the time to people they're like hey we're going to give you a hundred dollars a page to draw wolverine and you're like seriously how can I pay my bills a hundred dollars a page to draw Wolverine? Well, you get to draw Wolverine. That, so you, that is your pay part of the, damn it. You know, yeah, you're yeah. like, okay, then I'll not pay my bills for, you know, the duration of the time of me working on this project. And then I'll go back to taking a full-time job and working at Walmart and then people reading my book at Walmart going, Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. I'm over here. I'm actually your checkout clerk. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, to pay the bills. Yeah. Starving artist. It's, it's not a joke. Yeah. Um, and you run into that a lot. There's, there's ways to get around it and there's ways to take advantage of your skill set, you have to, but it's all about networking. Oh, yeah. You have, you have to work hard. Well, we're going to put a pin in this one and let it go, but it's been awesome talking to you, Nate. We'll have to do it again and appreciate it. Yeah. You got some great wisdom and some understanding about the business. So that's why I wanted to talk to you today. <laughs> There's a lot more out there that I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll delve into that maybe another time. So sounds good. Cause cool. then hopefully I'll know more by then. Yes, definitely. Thanks, Nate. So there you have it. The interview with Nate Hamill. Like I said, he's such a fun guy to sit down and talk with. I didn't even realize almost an hour had gone by. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see some of his work, you can find him on Facebook. You can find him on Facebook at Behind the Glass Comic Art Gallery. So just search Behind the Glass Comic Art Gallery on Facebook, or you can go to NateHamill.com. That's NateHamill.com. I'll include the links on the Covert Nerd webpage. I'll include the links on the in the show notes at CovertNerd.net. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just simply search Covert Nerd. If you go to the CovertNerd.net website, you can leave a message there with SpeakPipe, or you can email me at cn at CovertNerd.net. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.